Welcome to Diverse, the podcast of the Society of Women Engineers. SWE is a catalyst for change in the engineering industry, and one of the biggest ways we inspire that change is through our annual SWE Conference for Women Engineers and Technologists. This year's conference, WE21 in Indianapolis, Indiana, will help attendees at all ages and stages learn, connect, and grow. Join us for three days of networking and relationship building, over 250 professional development sessions, three inspirational keynotes, and a career fair featuring more than 300 exhibitors. Let's aspire to inspire at WE21, October 21st through the 23rd. Head to we21.swe.org for more info and to register. Hi, I'm Rachel Morford, President of the Society of Women Engineers. Welcome to SWE's Diverse Podcast Series. Please remember to add this podcast to your iTunes and like or follow us on social media. Visit SWE.org for more details. I'm joined today by Rebecca Haug. Rebecca is a Vice President leading Booz Allen Technical Delivery Teams, primarily focused on engineering and science, with an emphasis on communications, network, and information technology infrastructure. She oversees a large portfolio of Defense Information Systems Agency, or DISA, projects, providing leadership in strategic planning, capture, and pricing, and is the market operations lead for four multi-billion dollar multiple award DISA IDIQ contracts. Thanks for joining us today, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. So I know our listeners are very excited to hear about all of the work that you do with Booz Allen, but I wanted to start today by asking you about your journey in STEM. What first attracted you to science, technology, engineering, and math? That's a great question. So growing up, I came from a very small town in northwestern Pennsylvania. My parents are immigrated, immigrated naturalized citizens from Vietnam. And so I wouldn't say I had a lot of exposure to what STEM career fields would look like. I was a great student. And I think in general, through my academic studies, I did gravitate more towards the math and science types of coursework. And so I knew, I knew early on that I wanted to do something related to that. I just didn't quite know what. And so, you know, as I was becoming a little bit closer to the time in which I needed to figure out where I wanted to go to college, you know, what I wanted to pursue from a career standpoint, I really didn't understand my options that well. I ended up deciding to go to Penn State. And at the time, you know, we didn't have computers in our home and our, the internet was becoming a little bit more popular, but it wasn't something that I had ready access to. It wasn't something that I was able to do a lot of extensive research on. And so I, I recall this one day coming home and getting a, a big package from Penn State. And they had this, I think they called it the big blue book. It was essentially a large book with all of the different majors, undergraduate majors from the university. And so I, you know, I spent a weekend just looking through and, you know, kind of focusing a little bit more on the math and science oriented careers, just trying to see what resonated with me, you know, what, what seemed like something that I wanted to pursue given really no, no really concept of, of the differences between them and, you know, what, what it would mean to be in a career related to any of them. And I, my first thought as I was going through was a new career field that they had a new undergraduate program called biotechnology. It might've been one of the first years that Penn State had offered it. And so, you know, doing a little bit of research on it, it was very, it was very focused on leveraging science to, to come up with new and creative ways to solve challenges. And that just resonated with me quite a, quite a bit back then. And for those that 
where around during that time, Dolly was getting a lot of press in the news with being the first cloned sheep. And so it just seems kind of exciting to kind of pursue. And so that was what I decided to do when I entered into college was pursue a degree in biotechnology. But I found early on in my studies that it didn't feel right. I was going through the courses. I was learning, you know, about the different types of things that, that would prepare me for my first job. And it just, it didn't resonate with me the same way it did when I first started pursuing that career. And so I had some conversations with my guidance counselor and just kind of talk through what a career in biotechnology would look like. And at the time, I, I really had no one to kind of lean to and to understand, you know, people that were in the field that could kind of talk to me about what it would be like mentors that were familiar. It was kind of strictly my, my only source of information were the guidance counselors at the university. And I remember very distinctly having a conversation about, you know, some hesitancy around whether or not this career choice was right for me and just trying to figure out what made sense. This is when I had just finished my sophomore year. It was at the end of my sophomore year. It's also very sensitive to not wanting to spend a lot of time trying to pursue my undergraduate degree. And he kind of, the way that he articulated it to me really just solidified what the fact that I didn't want to do it. And so I, I went and spent the next couple of weeks to months trying to figure out what I wanted to kind of switch towards. And that's what led me to computer science. My brother had pursued a degree in computer science and in, I'm sorry, computer engineering and electrical engineering. It was a combined major at Carnegie Mellon. At the time, I had some friends that were doing information technology-related career fields, and I decided that, you know, that seemed like a better fit. There was, you know, a booming industry that had needs for this type of skill set, and it seemed like something I could quickly pivot to, and that's what led me down the path of computer science and eventually to Booz Allen. Rebecca, thank you so much for sharing that story. I know a lot of our listeners who are currently pursuing degrees at their universities probably can relate to not feeling quite like it's the right fit and potentially even with changing midway through their undergraduate career. But I think that your point about it not feeling right and finding something that did was is incredibly important for our listeners to hear. So your degree is in computer science from Penn State, as you just described. How has that aided you as you've transitioned from engineer to a technical business leader? Yeah, so I, it's funny. I mentioned biotechnology was not a fit. And I was, by the time I switched to computer science, I was really mentally committed to seeing it through. <laughs> I, want, I really wanted to make sure I was able to graduate in a realistic amount of time. But also, you know, at the time, computer science field was very specific to theory and C development for those that are familiar with those types of studies. And that also, quite honestly, didn't completely resonate with me. I knew I didn't want to be an embedded software engineer, but I also knew it was a broad enough field that I was learning enough through that program that I could apply it in a different way and apply it in a way that made sense for me. And so what I did was I, I tried to diversify all of my electives the best I could. And at the time, a lot of my, my courses I took in the math and science field in my first two years, I had to take again because they didn't apply to the engineering school that I was now a part of. And so I was in an accelerated kind of mindset where I was taking, you know, sometimes two to three extra classes a semester, full-time classes in the summer to try to finish things up in a reasonable amount of time. But while doing that, I wanted to make sure I took advantage of opportunities to learn a little bit more about different and related career fields. So I took some extra classes in 
information systems, took some classes in communication systems, just to really see where can I take this career and how can I make it work for where I see myself in the future. And so what I took from my computer science degree was really that approach, that logical way of thinking, taking a problem, dissecting it, figuring out different ways to approach it and solve it. And that really could be applied to any really any career field, regardless of where I took my specific computer science degree. And it's what honestly attracted me to Booz Allen as I was interviewing the number of different companies and trying to figure out what was that right balance of leveraging my degree while still kind of doing something in a technical field that, that appealed to my specific areas of interest. And so for me that, you know, I had joined Booz Allen as a systems engineer, software systems engineer, and that, that transition to a technical business leader role was, was quite natural for me because I do, I've always had kind of an interest in the business side of things. And so for me, it was a way to marry the two passions that I had. You know, I was, I was still very math and science oriented, but I still had that interest in understanding kind of the broader picture and how to lead people, how to optimize people for their own development and support Booz Allen and supporting new programs that we were part of with our customer bases. So it was a very nice transition for me to be able to, to marry the two together. It sounds like, thanks for sharing that with us. And along those lines in your career, you've worked on a broad range of technical leadership roles. Have you had a favorite project and what did you like most about it? Yeah. So when I joined Booz Allen, it was shortly after 9-11. And so, you know, there was a lot of initiatives going on within the DOD, within the world to help fight the global war on terrorism. And so one of the things I was able to do early in my career, which I'm very, very proud of, is be a part of a team that helped design, implement, and deploy a communication system that allowed videos to be disseminated across Iraq and Afghanistan and help protect our soldiers against um, improvised bombs. And so for me, it was such an amazing thing to be able to know that the work that we were doing collectively had real benefits, you know, and saving lives for our warfighters that were overseas fighting this war on terrorism. That was such an impactful opportunity for me to be a part of. It can be difficult as working woman, especially one in a leadership role, to find a healthy work-life balance. Can you tell us how you achieve that? You know, is balance the right word that you use or is there a different phrase? That's a good question. I, not, I try not to use the word balance, but I know it's an industry-wide term that people use. This is an ongoing effort for me, quite honestly. I'm constantly looking at you know, the priorities that I have for my personal life as my, and my work life. And I will say my transition to becoming a working mother was one of the hardest professional transitions that I've had in my life, just trying to understand how to continue to give my best to my work while still managing something that required a lot of my attention and my focus. And so I will say it's, it's not a 50-50 thing. So balance implies everything is equal. And that's really just not the case. But understanding how I could support both in a way that, that I would feel comfortable with, that I could live with, that I could be proud of is something that I, that I really debated quite hard early on. You know, when I was pregnant with my first daughter, I had a long debate as to whether or not I wanted to try to be a stay-at-home mother for a period of time, if I wanted to transition to becoming a part-time employee, or if I should just adjust you know, my practices and continue in a full, full-time capacity um, on the same kind of career trajectory that I was on prior to motherhood. 
And there were several influences to my decision. I remember very distinctively speaking to other females that had taken time away from the industry and then trying to re-enter after, you know, three, five, seven years out of the workforce. It's incredibly hard to do that. And I, I didn't know if I could mentally do that. I, I felt like that would be a pretty challenging thing for myself. There was also financial considerations. I grew up in very humble beginnings and I wanted to make sure there was financial stability for my kids and, you know, their futures. And ultimately, I think what decided it for me, my first born is a, is a girl. She's um, 10 years old now. And I really just wanted to be a role model. And I wanted to show her that you really could do anything as long as you put the time and effort into it. It wouldn't always be easy, but it would be achievable as long as you, you know, kind of put your head into it. And so I decided and I, I went down the full-time path, but it's a challenge. It's a challenge trying to make sure you're there, you show up and show up your best version of yourself for everyone personally and professionally. I think one of the most important things is making sure you are setting up those boundaries, committing time to the things that are important. And when you're doing things, be present, make every single moment matter. And so, you know, your time is limited, but you can make the moments that you have matter. The one area that I probably am not as great about, which I'm I'm working on right now is is the self-care element. I think it's very easy to sacrifice your own well-being for the needs of others, particularly when there's limited time in the day to make sure everyone's needs are taken care of. But I do know the importance of taking care of yourself because you'll bring a better version of yourself to others. And I thought this was interesting. The last time I flew with my family, which seems like forever ago, given the current pandemic, but we were at the beginning of the flight and they were going through the routine, you know, the instructions for what to happen, you know, in the event, you know, the plane went down or whatnot. And my daughter looked at me and said, I don't understand mom. Why are parents supposed to get their oxygen masks on before helping their kids? That makes no sense. And I thought about it. And the reason she was asking, I'm always telling them to be, make sure you're not being selfish and think of the needs of others before your own. You can't help others until you help yourself first, right? You're going to bring the best version of yourself if you take that moment or two to take care of yourself. And I think it was just, it was kind of an aha moment for me, you know, the things that I know are important, but describing it in a way for a child to understand kind of puts it in a better perspective, I think, many times. I'm sure a lot of our working mothers can relate to that sentiment. And I appreciate you sharing the story about your daughter asking that question, because I know I've heard that same thought expressed by a number of different people over the last few years. I think, as you mentioned, during the pandemic, it became something that was even more critical for all of our working parents to take that time for self-reflection and self-care so that they could continue to, as you phrased it, make make the moments that you have really matter. So thank you for sharing all of that with us. Rebecca, as a leader, you're passionate about diversity and you think it's important for those who may be the odd one out in a room to embrace their difference instead of trying to blend in. Can you tell us more about that? Sure thing. Yeah, I spent a lot of time in my early, early career really trying to emulate what I thought was, you know, a successful colleague, you know, I, I looked at those around me, and I really tried to blend in, I tried to kind of hide what I brought to the table or who I was, you know, as a person and tried to be more like what I saw in others. My earliest memories in the professional world was, you know, trying to become a technological expert in certain fields, because that's what I saw all of my peers doing. I was one of when I was when I joined Bizellen, I was one of the first non-electrical engineers, one of the first non-satellite communications engineers that was brought into the team. 
And it's really difficult to be different and understand how you fit into an organization and what value you can bring if you don't have the same skill sets of those that you look up to, those that you kind of see doing well in their careers. And so what I didn't understand at the time was they didn't need, you know, another, you know, another a 10th or 11th SATCOM engineer, network engineer. They brought me in for a purpose. They, I had a specific skill set that they, they had a hole and they had a need that I was able to fill. And so rather than trying to be someone that I'm not, I really should have spent some time looking at myself and understanding what my own personal strengths were and embracing them and figuring out how I could leverage them to, for the better good of the entire team. And I think that that happens in so many different ways in the professional workforce. And, you know, sometimes it's based off of functional skill set. Sometimes it's based off of backgrounds, experiences, gender, so many different things. And I think rather than trying to kind of fit in, really take a step back and understand that different perspectives do matter, different viewpoints. If you have a different upbringing or a different perspective from different parts of industry, there's value in that and harnessing that value and pulling from everyone's individual strengths will will develop and bring together a much better and stronger team because of it. Absolutely. I think the phrase that I've heard describing what you just told us about is diversity of thought and embracing the different perspectives that each team member brings has Mm -hmm. definitely been something that's shown to increase overall team effectiveness and performance. So thank you for sharing your perspectives on that with us. Last year, you served as Booz Allen's Women in Engineering and Science Program Manager. Can you tell us about your work to mentor and encourage women in engineering? Yes. Yeah. So I was asked a couple of years ago, actually, from a a female partner to take on this role. It's one of the things where you're identified a year or two in advance of fulfilling the role. So you have an opportunity to shadow the previous program manager. And so it happened to coincide with the beginning of the pandemic, ironically enough. And so for me, it was it was such an interesting time to fill that role because I think the emphasis on supporting and mentoring women, particularly working parents, was incredibly important. I think we were all going through a lot of different things. And so I really was thankful for the opportunity to really look at the program, understand how it needed to evolve. We weren't going to be doing the same things we did in previous years because we had limitations on so many different things, travel being one of them, but also even just budgets. And so thinking of creative ways to support the current needs of our female engineers across the firm. And so it was such an amazing experience to connect with female engineers across the firm, understand what their experiences were, what impacts they were having in the organization, and help connect them with other folks across the firm as well. I also, in parallel, had the opportunity to do mentoring within the Women in Engineering and Science program, but also within our Asian Pacific American network as well. And so just being able to connect with talented resources and just provide some experience and stories and perspective based off of my specific career and helping just make connection points. So very thankful that I was given that opportunity and it helped kind of help me understand what I, what I wanted to focus on moving forward and continuing to support female leaders and female technical resources across the firm. It sounds like it might've been a good opportunity for you to be a role model to others in your firm as well. Absolutely. So along those lines, can you tell us why you think it's important for young women today to choose degrees in STEM? 
Yeah, I think we can all see that technology is becoming an integral part of every career. And, you know, career choices are going to evolve quite a bit over the coming years. And I think having some STEM-related background will will be integral in, in many, many different careers, even beyond the careers that we see today. So I think it's important for young women to know that really the sky's the limit in terms of what they can achieve. And there are no gender-specific career choices. If you have a passion in any specific area, you know, you should embrace that and pursue that. Maybe you don't know, maybe you don't know what you're, what the future has in store for you, but being able to take those opportunities to learn a little bit more about degrees in STEM and how you can apply that in different careers, I think is going to be so important to make sure we're getting the full value and impact of future leaders in the world. I love that so much, Rebecca. Thank you for sharing. And my last question ties a little bit back to some of our initial conversation about choosing a major and and picking your first career. If you could give any one piece of advice to current engineers who would like to move up the leadership ranks, what would it be? I think it would be make sure you're being vocal and proactive in setting the path. So make sure people know. I think it's, I find oftentimes people assume that aspirations are known, you know, because natural progressions perhaps lend themselves to leadership ranks, but people might not know that you have specific interests in terms of, you know, leadership, expanding into leadership roles. And so make sure you're having those conversations, make sure you take some time to think about what's important to you and why you want to move into leadership roles. What is that that's driving you to to want that aspiration? Because it might change what that looks like for you based off of what those specific drivers are. So, you know, once you're having those conversations and you have a, a decent handle on what your aspirations are, and again, things change, aspirations change, the path to get to where you want to be may change, but at least having some level of knowledge of what that looks like will help kind of steer you in the right direction. So take advantage of training opportunities, certification programs, getting involved in leadership organizations outside of your, you know, your, your work to practice some of those skill sets. I think those types of things really help you prepare for those leadership roles. And, and most importantly, don't be scared of taking on additional responsibilities. You know, I, you're more capable than you probably think you are. So seek those mentors both within and outside of your work circles and understand, you know, common pitfalls, the types of things that you could be working on to help you progress in your specific career. Thank you for that, Rebecca. And and thank you so much again for taking the time to speak with us today. I really appreciate your advice to everyone to be their own advocate and to share their interests and aspirations. I think that's incredibly important and to find really good mentors and to practice their leadership skills. I know that a lot of our members and listeners of this podcast practice their leadership skills through volunteering through the Society of Women Engineers. So I really appreciate your time this morning and thank you so much. Thank you. I'm Rachel Morford. For all of us at SWE, thanks for listening. enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Remember to head to we21.swe.org to learn more about and register for this year's conference. 